This show is brought to you by Made by Super. Hiring a design studio is more necessary than you think. Your brand is important, and how it's represented shouldn't be phoned in. Whether it's your logo, website, messaging, online ads, environment, graphic design, or social media, you need professionals, thinkers, advocates for your brand, people that will make you look good. It will make a difference. Trust me. Go to madebysuper.com and hire great designers to get to work for you on your brand. Also brought to you by Age Old Trade Design, LA's premier hospitality design firm. Welcome to Acting Real with Kat Foster, where I talk with talented, seasoned, professional actors about how they use what they've learned from acting in their real, everyday lives. Today we talk to actor, writer, and producer Kelly Stewart. Kelly can be seen in dozens of films and TV shows. On the small screen, you know her from My Boys, The Soul Man, and most recently, Midnight Texas on NBC and Blackish on ABC. You also know her from films like Guess Who, Monster in Law, and Hot Tub Time Machines 1 and 2. Upcoming, you will be able to see Calais and the remake of Pride and Prejudice for a lifetime. Enjoy. It is a skeleton, and you have to discover where the bones go. What I need for my life. Now, okay, so you and I know each other because we did a p- pilot yeah. called Let It Go back in the day. Back in the day. When was that? Was like 2011? No, 2010? Gosh, I don't really remember the 29? It was, was it was that? a long time ago. It was ago, a long time ago. But it was close to a decade ago. Had to be. Zachary Levi. Zachary Levi. Yourself. Me, Joel David Moore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Romney Malco. Romney Malco. You were married to him I in the pilot. married to him in the pilot. Mm-hmm. DJ Nash wrote it. Yes, that was a good pilot. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, Camille Guardi was in it. Yes, Camille. That yes. was a good... Camille, a actually, good... fun fact. Oh. Was my first on-screen kiss, believe it or not. What? Yes, we were lesbian lovers getting married. In what In what show? Oh, gosh. Or a movie. It was a... It was a show. It was a series. I think it had one season. I can't remember the title of it, which is embarrassing, but it was also a very long time ago. Yeah, sure, sure. I just know Omar Benson Miller was in it. I love that guy. I've been trying to get him on the podcast. For real? Yeah, he's he's been he's been. We can publicly shame him. Yeah, let's publicly shame Omar Benson Miller. Omar, I have your phone number. Yo, return my text, man. We speak every now and again. We've gone to church together. <laughs> Great. Tell get Omar to get here. his ass over to our Do podcast. I know. I've been trying to get him. And get your whole life. I know. Yeah. Thank you. You got it. Um, okay. So he was in that thing that with you and Camille Guadi. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and when did you start? At, have you always wanted to be an actor? You know, um, I always say this because I think it's true that acting chose me at a very Mm. young age. My parents moved us from the city into the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And when they did, the living room was not furnished yet. And it had all these mirrors Mm -hmm. on the wall. And whenever I would throw a temper tantrum, so I'm talking like age four or five, my mother would send me into this empty living room and say you know you can go off cry scream but when mommy comes back it's over 
<laughs> okay. And so that's what I would do. And she really believed in giving me the opportunity to let my emotions out. Uh-huh. But there's a time when it's going to be done and uh-huh. we're going to move on and have fun for the rest of the day. So oftentimes when I was in there, after I got done screaming and crying, but before she came back in, yeah. I would start talking to myself in this mirror uh-huh. and singing to myself in the mirror and dancing in the mirror. Uh-huh. So before she knew it, I was literally creating my own fantasy world in this mirror. So then she began intentionally putting me in there because she understood that her child was developing something, even if she couldn't name it yet. Sure. So and what would she would say, like, go into the living room? Yeah, well, Why don't you go into the living small, room? And just... Like in the living room. And then before I knew it, I was, it was kind of like my studio. Wow. And as I aged and got older, and of course, timeouts don't apply anymore. They're not applicable anymore. I just would stay in there and create. And I became an actor in that room. I always think about, you know, your purpose comes from your pain. Mm. And so being upset at four years old and being in that four-year-old pain that Mm -hmm. sent me into the room Mm -hmm. my purpose was born Mm -hmm. and even when I became a teenager and I then at that point knew I think acting might be my thing Mm -hmm. and I'm doing school plays and I'm going to freedom theater during the summer I would still come home and go in that studio so Mm -hmm. to speak take a big VCR camcorder and you know create my little movies and things like that Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I left for college at SUNY Purchase that my mom furnished the room. So wow. for my entire childhood life, up until I left for school, that was an unfinished living room. Oh my God, that makes me cry. That's so moving. <laughs> and your mom did that for you. She did it for me. Yeah, she uh, did it for me. She does everything for me. We uh, call her Mama Stew. Oh, that's so nice. She is the actor's guru. Wow. And so it, but what I am, I'm serious. I'm, that was really moving to me that your mom left your living room unfurnished for your whole life just so you could have a little studio. Mm -hmm. That's so sweet. I know. Um, and so what is your sibling? Do you have a brother or sister? I have a brother, an older brother. And is he a creative or is he he like, he used to be a musician. He played the bass. Um, but he has his own company computertechies.com oh, wow. so he works in oh, cool. um, the field of technology of which I know nothing of sure and by the way is a very creative field I don't mean to say like creative people are only our artists because everyone in my opinion is creative not I just agree. um so mama stew was encouraging of him too right extremely yeah. extremely I mean to the point where she what I would say about my mom is that she she knows her children so well. Yeah. My brother is a computer genius, and he actually, um, in high school, you know, you get the report cards thing. Uh-huh. And she knows him so well that when he was getting, like, too many A's and too many B's, yeah, that he probably broke into the computer system at the school. Whoa. She guessed that? Oh, yeah. She she looked at it and knows. She knows his his attention span. My brother is a, a genius. But, you know, regular institutionalized education Wasn't didn't really work for his brain. Uh-huh. Because he was just ahead of it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so he would have problems in school, not because he couldn't figure things out. He was out, bored. But be, he was bored. Mm-hmm. 
And so when she would see these grades in a certain way, she was like, eh, no, dude. <laughs> so how how she something. catch him? She just she confronted she him. She was like, "Did you and, hack the system?" And he did hack the system. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I think he like, I I I think he did it for a couple of his friends and maybe charged twenty dollars a grade. Wow. So you guys are both brilliant. Just you have different minds. And a different bit. minds. Different minds. Interesting. But he's totally into the arts and seeing his little sister. Yeah. Be in this world and excited about all of that now you know? what did you say your purpose is your pain you know your pain is your purpose your, yeah i think your purpose comes from comes your from pain. your pain and so do you think his purpose came from his pain absolutely and so what was what was that parallel for him <sighs> i'm not too sure it would be a question that would be better served if i asked him specifically what his pain was you know i think as we grow, no matter how amazing our childhood circumstances may be, mm-hmm. or our surroundings may be. I grew up in a great neighborhood, mm. um, but we were the only black family mm-hmm. where I lived, one of two black families. And so my brother and I, there was always struggles with identity. Mm. And so to answer your question, I would think somewhere in that lane of Mm -hmm. identifying with who you are as a young black man and a young black woman for myself in a world that where we grew up didn't quite accept us. Mm. You know, I had neighbors. um, The first time I was ever called the N word. Oh, wow was from the neighbor across the street. Oh, my God. Because I was dating their son, who <sighs> was in my grade. And that's what you do. All mm. kids date the kids in the neighborhood. Sure, yeah. Um, and I would, I would suspect that, though my brother may not have shared it with me, that somewhere in that language, he, too, had pain. Mm. Um, and he found the thing that, that he could control. Mm you know, Mm -hmm. with technology that he could create and make sense of Mm -hmm. because the things in our life that we can't control other people, Mm -hmm. we often want to make sense of their reasoning Mm -hmm. and um, it doesn't necessarily always lend itself to a concrete answer. You just have to find the empathy and the compassion for, well, that's your experience Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to absorb it. Mm -hmm. But I think my art is something that is my own. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, I control it. Mm-hmm. Um, it controls me with how how it expresses itself through my life. And I think with my brother, being in that world of technology where you escape mm. and you go to a place where you push a button and you create a formula or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. Um is probably where he could find the most value for his mind and mm-hmm. away from his pain. Yeah, I would imagine like with tech, um, my husband works in tech a little, and like I would imagine you have such a sense of agency. Mm-hmm. Like when you're really able to like make stuff happen that like most of the world doesn't know how to make happen, that feels that's really empowering, I would imagine. I think it's extremely empowering. Yeah. And and, and he's my brother's the type where, you know, he gives for Christmas and things like that, he gives us 
a electronic gift and I'm always like that's your world not mine <laughs> like I don't give you a book of monologues sure, like, sure. you know what I mean what yeah, are you doing yeah. but what I love about it is he it's his invitation right right you know right. into that space yeah like come meet me in a place where I get to make stuff happen I can make stuff happen I can make your life easier yeah you have this control for your remote you know for your television instead of this one or if you do this on your computer it's gonna you know so I love that but he he gives to all of us in the family through his technology yeah and you know he is the go-to person yeah and so his purpose um of even giving is is through that agency that he had and what's your purpose i mean how would you describe it i mean look you you know in a sense like your dharma right mm -hmm. is is acting right so like you've chosen this way of expressing your purpose or do you think of your purpose as being an actor that's your purpose or how do you how do you how do you contextualize this this question of what is your purpose do you think about it in terms of you know you're an actor writer director maybe mm -hmm. i don't um or do you think about it like your purpose is to give i think it's ever evolving for me mm -hmm. um i do always think the umbrella is giving and every nuance falls underneath that but when i say giving there are times when that giving is to myself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i was actually just having a conversation with mama stew earlier today do you talk to mama stew every day 15 times oh my god i love that's my bestie that's such a beautiful thing yes. that's so special not everyone has that not everybody has that no. and i don't take it for granted in fact few bit. people have that i know yeah. and i share her she's uh, not just my mama's too she's everybody's uh, mama's too even uh, on my social media i'll tell stories about her like when i was young and somebody said what do you want to be when you grow up and i said an actor and they said oh that's great but you know a lot of people don't make it in that career so you need to find something to fall back on mm. and my mother's response was what makes you think she's gonna fall oh i love my she's like because i'm here to catch you How <gasps> oh i love her i and love I remember her. her talking to my dad one time having you know a marital argument about us kids and she was saying i don't raise my children to have a plan b mm. plan a is going to work wow and we will figure out a way to make sure it works for them so that's you know that's who raised me and and in terms of what i was talking to her about today in terms of purpose and in the giving umbrella i felt like in my life currently a lot of people are putting their bitterness in my cup mm. and whatever issues they have in their life they are constantly calling me and needing me to feed into their situation or speak into what their life drama currently is right so like without mentioning names obviously like somebody like a friend of yours might call you and be like oh my dude did this and this and this and this and that friend might want you to agree with her like oh yeah he sucks he's the worst you're in a terrible situation or like at at work it's going horribly and like my boss is the worst and then they might want you to say yeah your boss is the worst i'm sorry your life sucks yeah basically <laughs> over and over and over again or just give advice even if it isn't agreeing with them right just the need for counsel yeah and 
it continuing and it's not just one person. It feels like I'm in a season where everybody isn't taking care of themselves. Mm. So they're all coming to me. Mm. And I was telling my mom, I have to take responsibility mm-hmm. for how I've taught people to engage with me. Mm-hmm. Because I am a giving person mm-hmm. and because I am a person that loves hard mm-hmm. and is a really great friend. It's one of the things I pride myself in being. Mm-hmm. If I wake up in the morning and know I'm being a good friend to somebody, mm-hmm. I go to bed that night and I sleep soundly mm. because friendships to me are family. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they mean to me. But I am finding that in this particular season. And by season, do you mean spring or pilot season? No, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I mean season of life. I think oh, that, sure. I love that. that. You okay, know, great. We have different seasons okay. where we're. This is the season I'm in love. This is the season I'm heartbroken. Oh, this I is love the how you think that. Of that. So you think of your life in terms of seasons. I do. And how long do seasons last? Just as long as they as, last? Until I learn the lesson. Oh, I love that. So it, it could last for like 10 years. Absolutely. What's the longest season you've been in? Oh, wow. Probably. Like, or what's a standout season for you? I had a, a season for three years where I chose an experience over my discernment, over my gut. Mm-hmm. I, I'll just, I'll be transparent about it, obviously without saying names, but I went out on a first date with someone mm-hmm. and he was great. He was charming. He was super funny. And when I got home, I spoke to Mama Stu my best friend, Nico, oh, how was your date? He was great. He was charming. He was super funny. But, I mean, he could be an alcoholic. Mm. I don't know. He just kind of drank a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. And then I went on to continue to date him. And my discernment told me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on date one. Yeah. But I chose the experience Mm -hmm. because I didn't know him. And I alcoholics let, can be really sexy. They can be really sexy. I know from firsthand experience. Exactly. Yeah. And so the season lasted three years. The relationship did not. Oh, interesting. The relationship was very short. And then we became very good friends. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't telling him the truth about how I felt he had an issue. Mm-hmm. And I was close to his family and, you know, all of those types of things. Then we didn't speak. We stopped speaking for years. Then he came back into my life because we ran into each other completely unintentional. So hold on, you, know, that you was go season. on a date. You hung out. You 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 get in, got into a short relationship with this dude. Yeah, then you stopped talking, but you were still in the season. I was in the season because I still believed in some way I could help him. Right. He and really. I was you waiting in. for the reconciliation. Hmm to come in a way where he was gonna call and say, I'm sorry for everything I did. Mm -hmm. And I got my shit together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That call never came. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In fact, his intention of being my friend again never came. He never made an effort. Mm -hmm. He simply ran into me at a party Mm -hmm. and took that opportunity to talk me right back into the same circle Mm -hmm. of BS that he did in the very beginning. Mm So it wasn't until he basically repeated the same behavior that I saw who he really was and that I couldn't change it or help it. 
I couldn't, I didn't cause it. I can't cure it and I can't control it. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get out of the season and truly wish him well. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at him. You know, to be mad at someone that has an addiction is to be mad at someone that would have diabetes. Sure, right. You know, it it's, is, an it's an illness. Right. And his behavior, the, the, the illness of addiction is a symptom of a deeper wound. Mm -hmm. um, and so in terms of my seasons, that was a season where I thought, that I could control, cure something that was not in my control. Well, so there's a lot of parallels between that season and this season you're in now, right? Where like everyone's calling you up, asking you to like take care and cure stuff that is not in your that control. That is not in my control and <laughs> yeah. it's not my responsibility. Or is it your responsibility? Yeah. Nor is and responsibility. I just told my mom, I said, you know, I think I'm going to go away on a writing retreat. Mm. And the interesting thing is, Usually I would say that because I'm having writer's block or I need a change of scenery to be inspired. And I was like, I need to get away from the people mm -hmm. in my life mm. that need me too much. Mm. It's one thing to need someone. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That's human. But when you need someone too much, it means you are lacking the ability to look at yourself in the mirror and be accountable. Yeah. I mean, it's also not ever... You know, it's like I think about this. I, I have a little baby. A oh, little, how A little six-month-old baby. Oh. And I love her so much. Oh, a girl. Yeah, she's the best. I and her. I, um, you know, I, I'm really, and this is a very controversial thing that I'm about to say, but I'm very against this kind of really crazy sleep training where we let their babies cry and just like let them cry, let them cry, let them cry. Everyone's into it. <laughs> they say you only do it once and then they sleep for 12 hours. I know. I hear you. But like for me, it's just like not something that I feel like I can do. I can do. Um, that said, you know, she started out as a great sleeper and then all of a sudden she started having a harder time. And then around six months, they start to go like, oh, you leave the room. Oh, wait, you really leave the room. Like, that's not cool. And so all of a sudden, all the stuff that used to work to get her to sleep stopped working. Wow. And I was like, now what do we do? Because now, no matter how tired she is, no matter how many stories we've read, no matter how much I've cuddled with her, no matter everything that's happened, she doesn't want me to leave the room. Like, mm. so I had to distinguish between what is the cry that says like, hey, come back. Like, fix this for me. I'm not tired. Where are you going? I'm annoyed. And the cry that says, I'm genuinely scared. I really need you. Please, please, please come back. I, I feel really panicked right now, you know? Mm. And there are different types of need. One is fix it for me. And then the other is I'm really, really scared and I think I might actually die. And I never want to leave her in that state ever, 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 ever. ever. I don't not. for fucking five minutes. That's right. not my thing. Of course but not. I do. You, we do have to learn to distinguish because, of course, I also don't want to do it for her. Like right. you don't want to do it for your friends. Right. I do want her to learn how to put herself to sleep. That's a skill that she needs, you know, just like I needed it. Mm -hmm. So it's a really like I'm going through that right now with my daughter in a way. Mm -hmm. Um and but the difference is is that she's six months old right. now with your friends <laughs> they're grown what well the well with your friends too it's like and i also really relate with you like if it's reciprocal yes then your cup is getting filled 
at the same time. You know what I mean? Like if you have a friend where, where they're like, please fix this for me. And you're like, okay, here's my advice. And then you go to that same friend. You say, oh, God, now I need you. Please yes. fix this for me. And they fill your cup. Like then it's cool. And I have so many friends. Sure. Yeah. Where it's reciprocal. That's amazing. So I'm, it is not the totality of my friends. Right. It's literally like handpicking yeah, two yeah. or three people that at the same time are having this issue and that I feel like I'm being drained from. And so what stops you, like just to just to push you a little bit, like what stops you from not answering the phone or from not texting them back? That's why. I mean, easier said than done. I know. Right, I relate with you, but I'm, I'm just saying, asking. I have taught them yeah. to engage with me this way. Right, so I right. take accountability for that. What stops me is, if not me, who? Like you feel some, feel, you feel some responsibility. I feel some responsibility, and I don't want to abandon. To your point with your daughter, mm-hmm. I don't want to abandon any cry mm-hmm. because I can't distinguish exactly what cry this is. Mm-hmm. But I'm learning, to your point of it being reciprocal, that there are some times where I have conversations with. The, the friends that might be in the space of needing me more than than should be where when I say something about myself it goes unnoticed yeah or well, I hate if that. I say something about a project I'm doing mm-hmm. they interject with the thing that they're doing yeah or they just don't ask me how's your writing going yeah well, what's going on with it and where are you in this project? And mm-hmm. they kind of glaze over it. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask myself, are, do they genuinely mm-hmm. want to see me win? Right. That was the conversation I had this morning with Mama Stu. Because I do think people can be happy for you mm-hmm. and want to see you win. But I do think that there is a difference between the surface level of that Mm -hmm. because it is what you should feel Mm -hmm. and what you should do. And the genuine level of it that is, I know Kelly is in rewrites for a movie she just sold. Mm -hmm. And so I can go to somebody else right now for this because she needs her time and her space Mm -hmm. and her focus. And I genuinely want to see her win. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that I'm going through can wait or I can handle or I can call on somebody else mm-hmm. or this event that I want her to come to. Mm-hmm. I cannot make it about me when she says, well, I got to write mm-hmm. and said, well, I want you to come. I shouldn't have to repeat myself and say, I'm writing though. Yeah. No, it's really, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And also like I, I, re- I really relate with you and you know, I actually, I had to end a very long friendship Mm. um over some similar things and and but it's really tricky because it we do have to acknowledge our uh we have to be accountable mm-hmm. for how we develop this relationship over however long weeks months years decades you know um but it's it's when when i it it is that lack of acknowledgement sort of like that selflessness or selfishness paired with a high level of needing need you are that's like completely that's like really really hard to it's deal really with. hard and we're both like both parties are accountable yeah even if they don't 
aren't really conscious of what they're doing. Right, right. You know, I just... But, you know, here's where I go. And, I like, I was reading a lot about, like, toxic relationships, toxic friendships. There is, like, when when you see this person text you or call you and you, like, cringe a little bit inside, like, oh, then that is a friendship that is not serving you in your life. I 1,000% agree. Yeah, and but it's really hard to disengage. It's really hard. But here's what, then here's where I go. So as a very accountable person, which obviously you are, um, you've done a lot of work on yourself to mm-hmm. be that person. Mm-hmm. So can't they do that same work? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you can be accountable for your part, but you, you don't have to be accountable for their part in it. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like they're still an adult, presumably. Presumably. Yeah. You would hope that they can do that work on themselves or that they even recognize that, that there's a need for work. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Cause I do come across people that really feel like they have their, entire shit together Uh and they have the answer for everything right even though their life could be in total shambles it's still somebody else's fault yeah it's still what somebody else isn't doing it's never about what i am contributing Mm -hmm. one of the things that i know for a fact is i am a constant work in progress and that's why i said i have to be accountable for how i have accepted this exchange of friendship to be Mm -hmm. and so it is it's baffling to me because as I get older, I did just actually end a friendship. It was a new friendship, but I did just actually end a friendship with someone um, because they were vastly dishonest. Ugh. Oh, that's terrible. And not just with me, with a bunch of people. Wow. wow. I know. And like I said, it was a developing friendship, a mm-hmm. developing bond. And after I found out the truth because we all talk Mm -hmm. you know and then Mm -hmm. i'm like that didn't happen that didn't happen though but wait what did this person tell you Mm because that didn't that's completely false i was there you know yeah um and once i found that out i instantly was furious Mm -hmm. and i instantly wanted to confront and i didn't but then when the confrontation came I wrote my feelings and Mama Stu edited them for oh, me. I love Mama Stu. Oh God, I love Mama because Stu. I am I'm feisty when push comes to shit. Sure, show. sure, sure. You know Well, we all are when we we're feeling are, angry. When we have anger like that. I cannot And do so liars. what was Mama Stu e- I mean me neither. What is what was Mama Stu editing for? She was editing my fury. But like and what she was bringing more grace into the situation. Okay. What she was doing was showing me the brokenness of that person mm-hmm. that chose to create an entire fabricated lie mm. means that they are they are going through something completely out of your pay grade of mm-hmm. friendship right and so you absolutely need to separate yourself but do it with grace mm. send them lovingly mm. away so she added some compassion she into added your compassion to theory. me mm-hmm. and and to it And I was able to digest that and go, okay, there's a way to do it. Because what happens is anger continues the tether. Right. Well, and anger anger can be an echo chamber. You get angry at them, then they get angry at you, then you get angry back. back And it's just a big anger, 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 anger. And it gets you nowhere. So Mama Stu was like, you know, let's But if you take it down, if you take the intensity down, 
then somebody who's really angry, like they don't they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it's it. It's sort of like completely unfamiliar territory. Because like, we're not going to play this right, game. Right, exactly. You like, you're not going to meet them where they are. At all. In, at, in their emotional frequency. You're going to set a different tone. A different tone. And I sent it and then thought, okay, hopefully this was done the right way. And then the person came back. Mm-hmm pseudo apologized didn't mm. really take full responsibility and then a couple hours went by and tried to manipulate me mm. and re-lie if that's a thing mm. <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. lie again to cover up the fact that now you're caught mm. first it was a lie then i let you go with grace oh. then you were like oops and then you were like but how can i yeah. How can I still save my lie? Oh, man. And that's when I was like, oh, okay. You yeah. know, that's when I was like, so this is what the block buttons are for. Right, right. You know, right, right. but and, and as I. And did you this, block that person? I had to. Yeah. Because it's an energy that will come back into your space. I don't want to be writing a script or being with people that I love and then see a text and then be immediately triggered back into a place that I already know, to your point, is toxic. Yeah. And it doesn't serve me. I just simply have to continue with as much grace as I can. And yeah. as I get older, I realize that friendships, relationships, business relationships, that I can trust my discernment. Hmm. I don't want to use the phrasing, no new friends, I'm good. Because I don't know who God is going to send into my life today that could become a long life friend. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I have friends that I met, honestly, I met one of my dearest friends in Keiichi Carroll, who's a writer and showrunner on a plane. And just because there was turbulence, she grabbed my hand and I was a total stranger. Wow. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm scared. I was like, no, it's okay. 20 plus years later, she's one of my best friends. So I don't know when it's going to happen. So I, but I do know now that my discernment was actually always clear about this person, that something wasn't all the way honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that has been a huge lesson for me. That is something so great that comes with age, right? Is that like you have, you've done, you've messed it up enough times that all of a sudden like a really true pattern emerges and you're like, oh, this is this is very clear now. Like this yeah. is crystal clear. <laughs> yeah. It's not I can't anymore pretend like I don't see this behavior that I that I'm participating in over and over and over. Right. I gotta do something if I want this to change. Yeah. yeah. And and ideally, hopefully. Ideally like, and knowing it sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because we, we often feel like we're doing something wrong if we're like, I don't really think I should get too close to that person mm-hmm. or connect this way, especially if that person is being kind and sweet and this, that, and the third, and you're not, they're not giving you a real concrete reason, mm-hmm. you know, but there's something that people that are married say, when you know, you know, mm-hmm. right? You know what's so beautiful about that story about how she grabbed your hand and said, I'm scared? She was so vulnerable with you in that moment. And that made you love her. Mm-hmm. And because you loved her in that moment of vulnerability, um, and you held her hand, mm-hmm. um, um, she 
she loved you back like she felt supported instantly yeah and then and she gave you this opportunity to support her in a time of need and it was right there the bond was formed in the clouds yeah at that moment in turbulence Mm -hmm. we were supporting each other and when we landed the guy that she was newly dating was picking her up from the airport Mm -hmm. and I met him and I, I even felt like I'm going to check him out to make sure he's right for her. You know, and I just <laughs> met him on the plane. Yeah. And he's her husband. I love it. Oh, my God. And I just I was got at chills. their wedding. Oh, I just got chills. And he's the best thing on the planet. And so, you know, there there is those times where your discernment is very clear that, yep, this is my type of person. Yeah. And, and when it's not quite clear, you can trust that, too, even if you don't have the actual manifestation of the reason why. You right. see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's you know, I was talking to a bunch of actors from Purchase College where I graduated from last night. They're here in LA oh, doing great. their showcase. And an actress asked me about something. I want to do this and this. And I said, well, define for me in one sentence what you want to do. Mm-hmm. She said, I want to act and create a platform where I can give back. And I said to her, so go find the people that are doing that now reach out to them and ask them even if you can shadow their set for a day or do you need an assistant because what she was doing in the now moment was just taking whatever life threw at her but she mm-hmm. wasn't being intentional mm-hmm. about her vision mm-hmm. and what i was telling her is when you have a vision for yourself it's where you're going so you only align yourself with people and things that are going to forward the momentum towards that vision. Mm-hmm. You have to insert yourself into the place that you want to be. When I first moved out to LA mm-hmm. to be an actor, my mom, you know, was with me and we were driving around to see where to go. And um, friends of mine worked in restaurants, as we all do, and I've done it. And um, they would say, oh, you know, the survival job uh, out here, that game is really hard. You know, you have to give your headshot to be a waiter, to be a bartender. You got to look like this and that. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, okay, well, what restaurants should I apply to? My mom said, uh-uh, no, 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 no. You're not going to be doing that. You came out here to act. Said, yeah, mom, but I'm going to have to pay rent. And I understand, but you came out here to act. She was being so rude. Mama Stu, <laughs> to my friend who was really just trying to help me find the right Mama restaurant Stu. job. Yeah, yeah. And so she just kept repeating that. And when we got in our rental car to go back to our hotel, I said, Mom, you know, you're that was real uncool. You know, she was trying to help me find a place to work. And you were like, no, she doesn't need to know that information. Why did you treat her that way? And she said, because the moment you come out here thinking that you just have to survive, mm. That's all you're going to do. If you come out here knowing you're going to work, you will work. If you come out here, when people say to you, oh, Kelly, you're coming out here to audition for pilot season, you tell them, no, I'm coming out here to book a job. Oh, we got to get Mama Stu on this show. You got to get Mama Stu. How, where did Mama there Stu get, get her wisdom? Her mother, God, uh, her and now is she a very ways, spiritual woman? Tell very me. Spiritual I mean, obviously, woman, she very is. grounded. She knows who she is. She always has. Mm-hmm. She's unapologetic about it, mm. and she has a very fierce love for her child. 
and wow. her and her son. Sounds like it. And I think through us, the things that she tripped up on on life, mm-hmm. she gives us the gift of knowing that she will support our journey, even in the times that she was growing where she didn't support her own. Mm-hmm. So whatever wasn't told to her, she tells us. You know what I mean? But like, how did she go? Yeah, of course. How did she like, what were her struggles that she overcame to, to, to widen her wisdom in this way? Like what has, what expanded? I mean, you don't have to talk about your mom. I don't mean that, but I, I, what I mean is like, obviously she is a very expanded person. Mm -hmm. Um, and you had the gift of this woman get like telling you this stuff. And I just think it's so amazing that she knows what she knows. She grew up in a time you know, during the civil rights Mm -hmm. and she was a freedom walker Mm -hmm. and she went through training where people would spit at her and call her nigger and yell obscenities at her. And she had to remain calm because the mission for civil rights was more important than lashing back out. She grew up in a time where something I will never identify with, where she was in Georgia as a young girl and she drank from the fountain that was labeled white Mm. because she couldn't read yet. And when white people on the street saw her doing that, they got immediately angered And my grandmother noticed that her daughter was drinking from the wrong fountain and grabbed her hand and beat her in the street so that the white people that were approaching wouldn't beat her. Oh, my God. So my grandmother had to publicly shame my mother to save them both from something far worse. And... I remember my mother said to my grandmother that she told me that she couldn't understand why she did it because why do I have to drink out of the colored fountain? It doesn't come out yellow. Mm. It doesn't come out red. It doesn't come out blue. So for her, she thought, I drink the clear water. That's the white water. And that is who my grandmother saved them both Mm. and explained to her the ways of the world and that she was going to make sure that she understood not only how to survive it, but how to thrive beyond it and be the best she could be. So when they moved out of, you know, different places in the South that they would visit and stayed in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia where we grew up, it was different. It was different. And my mother was still faced with racism. And she always remembered that in her psyche. And so she learned how to be an advocate for people. And she worked in human resources to make sure that women and people of color were hired appropriately. So she's built for advocacy. Mm. And she advocates for her children more than anything in the world. Mm. And like I told you earlier, the first person to call me a nigger was 
the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling my mom at school. I mean, when I was, I had come home from school and I called my mom at work. And because um, she always would tell us, no matter what, you call me, you can interrupt me. I will come out of any meeting. You know, she's the head of human resources. She's this powerful woman in, in her company. But nothing came before us. Mm. And we were clear. And she made that clear. Mm -hmm. And that's something when you give a child, when you let them, when they know without a shadow of a doubt that they are your priority, you have already given them the winning ticket Mm -hmm. to get through this life. Oh my God, you're making me cry so much. But it is is the (laughs) truth. I can't take it, man. That story and your mom. They want to be heard. They want to know that they matter. And I knew that my mother was always the constant fuel of life for me and I remember calling her when I was called a nigger and I don't know what meeting she would have been in but she got in her car and she was at that house in five seconds Wow! and she took my brother across the street and she said you stay here I will handle it she went across the street and she confronted our neighbors I was too young to really know what that confrontation was but what i knew was that my mother until her last breath and beyond would defend me at all costs you don't get to disrespect me ever and i will take it a step further by letting you know that even in my adulthood if i'm talking to my mom on the phone like i said 15 times a day and i'm having a bad day Maybe I didn't get the job I wanted. You know, maybe I didn't feel great about something I did or said. And I would say, you know, mom, I just, I didn't do this right. And I didn't get the thing. And maybe I need to lose more weight. And maybe I need to this. And I'm just so pissed at myself because I really should have known better. My mother will always stop me. And she will say, be careful about how you speak about my child. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can't take it. Everyone's laughing at me because I'm just like a ball of tears. Like, I want to be a mom like your mom. Well, you will be. Okay. That's why I say to you, I share her. I tell these stories, not because they sound beautifully poetic. They do. But this is the truth. This is who my mom is. This is who I was raised by. And she still will say to me, be careful about how you speak about my child. Oh, fuck. I love her so so I have to be accountable for what I say about myself. And that makes me fully aware that self-love is my responsibility because my mother will not let me negate anything that I do. Mm. It all has a purpose. Even the mistakes are glorious. It's never something to be edited or judged. It is always an opportunity to learn. You know, I became a writer just recently, just over the last couple of years. I sold a pilot to Fox and the film that I'm doing now. But I wrote a poem about a pork chop when I was 11. <laughs> Do you still remember it? I have zero idea about it. Okay. I don't remember what I wrote. I just knew that you didn't know it was a pork chop until the end of the poem. Okay. And... I had seen my mother had taken me to see cats in New York. And I remember being on the subway and I remember seeing this guy gnawing at a pork chop. And then one day I wrote a poem about it. (laughs) 
Well, my mother through my teens, through my 20s, 30s, would tell me every now and then she would sprinkle it in, you're a writer. Ever since the pork chop, I'm just telling you. Mm. Mom, I'm an actor. I don't need that. Okay. Years go by. Well, I didn't get this job. Yeah, maybe you need to write something, Kelly. Mom, you and this, I'm just saying, the pork chop. I, I knew when I read it. My mom still has this poem. Mm-hmm. And so when I sold the first pilot I wrote, the first thing that she said when I FaceTimed her, I said, Mom, I just came out of the pitch. They bought it in the room. And she's on FaceTime. She goes, I knew since the pork chop. Uh- <laughs> and she, and what I, what I want to offer is that when you believe something to your core, no matter how much something looks different, continue to believe it. Mm. Because my mother believed this about me, even though I was running far away from it. Mm. I'm acting, I'm doing this, I'm not gonna write, I'm not gonna write. She just waited Mm. for me to catch up to what her gut and her spirit told her about her daughter. So now that I have a totally hyphenated career, She's not surprised at all. She's not like, oh my God, and now this is so crazy that this is happening. She's just like, I'm glad you caught up. Oh, man. So how do we, so this is sad, right? So listen, a lot of people, a lot of people don't have mama stews. Mm -hmm. How, like, are you even, can you even imagine, like, I'm like, how, how, how can we find our and our mama stews? I think that oftentimes when an emotion or a support system is not given to us by the person that we feel it should come from, whether it's because they're deficient or incapable or wounded on their own, possibly deceased just not in your life, whatever it might be. That we focus on the fact that they, whoever that they is, is not giving us the thing that we think they have to give us. And so we then become blind to the fact that God is supplying it to us through another person. Mm. Because we are so focused on how we think it should come our way. Mm -hmm. And when we remain focused on that, it is blurry that it's actually in your life. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't look or sound the way that you think it should. And so I don't believe that the universe puts us here to live through lack. I don't believe that. Not everybody has a mama stew, true. But if they hear this podcast, hopefully they've been blessed Mm. by the lessons that she's taught me. So somewhere in there, you do get it. Mm -hmm. You just have to then be grateful for it and use it to your benefit. I don't have a boyfriend. I'm not in a relationship right now. But I do have men in my life who will take my car to 
you know, the shop when I need it, who will protect me and walk on the outside of the street, mm. who will answer the phone any time, day or night, if I need them, who will come to me if I'm ever in an emergency or take me to the doctor. Though I don't have that in one man that I call boyfriend or husband or fiance yet, I have it in different places in my life. Mm. And so I think it's about where you put your focus. Mm -hmm. If you focus on it being a lack from the person it's supposed to come from, mm -hmm. dad. Sure. You know, that kind of thing. Mom, she's not around. Mm -hmm. She never clicked into that. Mm -hmm. It could be the woman at the grocery store, the line that you always go in. Yeah. Who asks you about your day. Right. We don't know how the things that we want are going to come. And sometimes when we look so hard for the things that we want in the form that we imagine them coming in, yeah. we miss the fact that we may already have a lot of what we want already. Already. And so then the prayer becomes, God, give me the eyes to see it. Exactly. And right. the ears to hear it. Yeah. I don't want to miss it. Right. Because I know it exists. Mm -hmm. I know it's in my life. I know it's around me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So help me to recognize it. Tell me about your relationship with God. Do you pray every day? Do you do you talk to God? Every you... day, all day. Mm -hmm. And he pisses me off more than anybody in my life. <laughs> I mean, if I'm honest about it, you yeah. know, it's it's not about getting what you want. It's not about getting what I want. It's about a relationship. Mm. And knowing that this is a this is a, a, a give and take, you know. I just heard a sermon by Stephen Furick, I think I'm saying the name correctly, about expectations and disappointment. Great, we'll link to it. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. And my friend Yvonne Orgy had posted it, and I thought, wow, that's the thing I've been struggling with lately, mm -hmm. is that I've been putting my expectations in people. Like, I expect you to do better than you just did with me. Mm. Or I expect you, because we have a connection, to have asked me out on a date by now. Right. I expect, <laughs> you know, whatever. And the sermon was really about the only expectation is to God. Mm. And the thing is, he does exceedingly and abundantly above what you can imagine. Right. And we put so many expectations in people. And they disappoint us, mm. as we do to others because that is our human nature. And in the sermon he said, what does God use to grow your faith? Disappointment. What does the devil use to destroy your faith? Disappointment. Mm. It's literally the same thing. Gosh, that's so amazing. Steven, you're amazing. And I heard that and I thought, I have been putting my trust for my future in the hands of people mm. that disappoint me instead of God who uses disappointments for my good. Right. So like in, in that, in, in the dis distinguishing between, so, so faith. So, okay. So we have disappointment, right? Yes. We have disappointment. And the devil uses disappointment and God uses disappointment. And God uses disappointment to 
uh, affirm, grow our faith. And the devil uses disappointment to to destroy our faith. So God, in what you just said too, God is, is, is connection to something greater Mm -hmm. for you in what you just said the devil is people Mm -hmm. if you put your expectations in people Mm -hmm. and so the devil feels like the material world in a way Mm -hmm. right like here we are with people or jobs or uh you know cars or houses or whatever boyfriends whatever we want that's that's the devil right when we're disappointed we don't get these things that can destroy our faith. Mm -hmm. But if we find disappointment, um, if, 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 if God, sorry, I'm making sense of this quote as right. Mm -hmm. Cause I think it's really, really beautiful and valuable. Um, if, if the way that God uses disappointment to grow our faith is if we can sit with the disappointment, um, sit with the disappointment and know that it is not about a material thing that I'm lacking. Yes. But I, but yes. about like understanding what the disappointment that the disappointment itself may be fruitful. The disappointment itself through God is always fruitful. And actually even with the devil because God will use that too. Uh-huh. He may not be the one that created it. And that's what the sermon talks about as well, but he will still use it for your good Mm. because he's all things all the time, all places. Yeah. yeah. We can just like, we can make it real to your point, what you're saying, we can make it really elementary. Right. Mm -hmm. So last pilot season, I was up for a pilot. Kelly, you are the choice. You're the one that we want hands down. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it didn't go through. For reasons I still don't know. I know, man. I've been there. You know how it is. I just found out today I didn't get something. I oh, just see? And so you're disappointed. I have some disappointment, you yeah. have some disappointment. I'm very familiar with disappointment. I hate disappointment. We all do. Such an uncomfortable feeling. I, when I tell you that this disappointment laid me, it almost laid I my soul you. to rest. I yep. went to the spa the next day because I was like, I need to cry. I need somebody to rub my back. And what a beautiful be okay. way to do that. Because somebody else might, might have disappointment and go, oh, I got to... Like punish her. myself yeah, somehow punish or like or, or, dr- or have drink, a drink or you know, however yeah. it is and I was like I need self-care oh, I, need I love it. Mm-hmm. and at the same time that I was going through pilot season last season I was also writing film mm-hmm. because I don't believe in putting all of my focus in one place yeah because it, it can be maddening yeah and madness in there and so I was like okay I'm going to start writing this film during this time so that I'm not hyper-focused on a result mm-hmm. of pilot season. Mm-hmm. I still have this other thing to come back to. Mm-hmm. So when that disappointment came, um, I then continued to write. And then I sold this movie. Mm-hmm. I was chasing one paycheck as an actor. Mm-hmm. And God was like, actually, I have three. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to star in it, executive produce it, and write it. Mm -hmm. And you're in the WGA Mm -hmm. and this and that and all of these other wonderful things. And you're Mm going to be producing it with Wendy Feinerman. And you're going to learn so much. You thought you wanted that job. Right. You were really disappointed, Kelly, that you didn't get it. Right, right, right. But I had so much more. Yeah. And so what I know about God is that what's meant for you is for you. Yeah. Nobody else can get a job that God has for you. 
because at the end of the day, he's the only person that can hire or fire you, yeah. period, yeah. on anything. Mm -hmm. And he used the disappointment to continue to fuel me to that script. Mm -hmm. Because after I got that massage, I came home and I was like, I got to do something with this energy. So I am going to finish this script. Same thing with the first one that I did with the guy that I talked about that I said he could be an alcoholic. Yeah. When that thing exploded, I had so much disappointment. That's what made me pick up my computer mm. and start what became BBF. Mm. I, had, I didn't even know what final draft was mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. So the disappointment, I used it. In, or God told me to use it in this way. And then on the other side of it, I was like, man, I am so glad that me and that guy didn't work out. Oof. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I didn't get that pilot, which is now a series. I'm oh, so glad. You're so glad you didn't get it. I mean, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. Right, 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 right. I wouldn't be sitting here with you. Right, right, right. Yeah. Everything in due time. I Disappointments know. are gifts. So what's your daily practice spiritually? Like what, you know, do you meditate? Do you pray every morning? Do you journal? Do you... I wake up in the morning and I have a cup of coffee, which I call spiritual. Yes. Because <laughs> it's the only thing that gets me to my center. Okay. Um, it's caffeine. And then I... I usually will listen to a sermon sometimes or parts of one. And where do you find the sermons? Online, whenever I'm going through something. Like, for instance, someone was telling me, this was a long time ago, but trying to give me advice about something that didn't feel right to my soul. Mm. Number one, I don't like unsolicited advice. I didn't ask for this advice. You just wanted to, like, insert yourself into my life. And I was like, no, I'm not, no. And I would Google how to hear from God. <sighs> just Google it. Oh, and then a bunch of links will come up and then I just choose something that my spirit tells me. Yeah, top that one on. All right. So wait, was that it? one, that one was T.D. Jakes. He has a sermon about how to hear from God. All right. I'm going to we're going to link to all this stuff. Yeah. Um, on our, in our show notes. But like, you know, your spirit tells you and you talked a lot before about discernment. Like, can you just specify a little bit? Can we dig into what that feels like? What that feels like to go with what your spirit tells you to choose and what it feels like to to be secure in your ability to discern the next move you want to make like does it feel like something in your body is there like a thought that you have that helps you know like just get you, dig into that a little bit you know um i i i'm not quite you know i'm not i'm we're human yeah so there's we're not always going to do it right. Mm -hmm. But what I have learned from past experiences, somebody said something, Tracy Carter said something to me once where God blesses, he adds no sorrow to it. And what she mm -hmm. meant by that was when it flows, you know, it's God. Mm. When there's obstacles in the way all the time, it's not that it's not God. It's just that he doesn't quite, work that way when that's the thing that he wants you to do mm. I believe it flows a little easier like for instance to your question on the way here I got a call and my agent said we have a call for you straight to test not to read any mm -hmm. audition but straight to test mm -hmm. and on my way here I said to myself I don't know yet to your point yeah if this is God mm. I don't know if this is something that's right for me mm -hmm. or if this is just something that is a trick. 
Right. Sounds fancy. I did this, by the way, my test on Sunday that I just found out I didn't get this job. That was a straight to test situation. Exactly. But for me, I knew that it did feel right because it was an audition. They'd come back a lot of times and I kept saying no and I kept saying no. So, yeah. So finally they were like, okay, well, they will take you in straight to test. And I was also like, all right, let me just look at this material again. And that's what helps me know, like. Is this something that I want to work on? Mm-hmm. Does this feel like something that I want to work on? And yeah, we all know better. It could be a trick. Could they could have trick. a choice. And, and then they just want to bring us in to yeah. be a sacrificial lamb for their choice or whatever. Or But sometimes you have to go through it. Yeah, yeah. Because when you don't know, I say, I would say choose the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to get some sort of valuable lesson out of Absolutely. that. Even if it is you know, helping you mm-hmm. strengthen the spiritual muscle of knowing in your gut totally what to do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great that you went and I think you already had an inner dialogue about what it could be. Yeah, and I needed, honestly, to be honest, I needed, what I'm really ultimately very glad about is that um, it, for me, in this point in my process, look, I just had a baby you know, I didn't do pilot season last time, last season because I was pregnant. The season before that, I was on a TV show. Like, I haven't done it in a while. And this was, like, a sort of high-pressure situation. I had a great test deal on the table. And, like, there was this big, big, big monologue that was, like, you know, that took a lot of acting, right. you know? Like, good acting. And you needed to act. And I wanted to act. There like, you go. And so for me, I went to this test because, like, I was like, you know what? If nothing else, this is a chance to practice my craft at the top level that I'm afforded to practice it right now. Exactly. And it was. It was in it and it went great. And I talked a lot to God before and and after and you know, I really like worked my spirituality to say for me, it was a way of saying, you know what? This is this is my new language right now. It's an event in consciousness. This is not about the test. Right. This is not about getting a job or not getting a job or the high pressure of it or the stakes of it or the like. There was no outcome that I was deciding on. This is just an event in consciousness. And even my thoughts are an event in consciousness. Even the thought like, oh, shit, I'm testing on Sunday. Oh, God, I got to prep. I got to learn all these lines. It's all just an event in consciousness. No different from this table. Right. Here we all are. This test is just here along with all my thoughts about it and this table and this podcast and you and all of us. I might absolutely steal that language (laughs) and test on Friday and be like, this is an event in consciousness because this, and I really mean that sincerely because this role is the exact opposite Mm. of that, of what I would normally play at this point in my career. And so when they keep coming back to me, yeah. even when I've done things to combat it successfully, I go, what are you doing, Lord? Is there a, somebody I'm supposed to meet in the room? Sure. Because God will, like I said, hire you or fire you. Yeah. You know, he's not going to give you a job that's meant for somebody else. Right. I totally believe that. And even if you get a job and he takes it away from you, mm. it's because... You were supposed to go through that experience to learn something, to learn something, because he's like, actually, you're brighter mm. than this role. Mm-hmm. And because you didn't believe me, I gave you the job so you could be excited. Mm-hmm. But then I replaced you. Mm. 
with someone that needs it more than you do because what you need to do is pay attention to the other thing I'm doing in you, mm -hmm. whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. And so with this thing coming back to me, I'm like, I'm not quite sure yet. Yeah. Is it a trick or is it God? But either way, I know God is going to use it yeah. for my good. Right. You know, but I might event in consciousness it mm -hmm. and go in there and be like, I wonder what this is going to, you know, exactly what it's going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you don't know. And you might. And so you're going to leave here, right? Presumably you're going to what? Go look at the script again. I'm gonna go look, look at, at the, the script sides again, again. And read it. And, you know, I'm a big picture girl. Uh huh. So I know the studio. I know this network. But I'm I'm like, where can it serve me? If, mm -hmm. if the role isn't something I necessarily am passionate about, however, being in a writer's room is. Right. If it gets picked up and if it goes to series and starts to do well, and these are great people to work with, and they are, mm -hmm. is there a way that I can shadow great. the writer's Fuck room? Yeah. Is there a way that I can... You know what I mean? Yeah. My meeting collaborators for my next thing. Like when I did BBF, Sebastian Jones wrote it mm -hmm. with me. And to this day, Sebastian, if you're listening, um, he is my little writing angel savior. Because on the first series that I was on, I played the black best friend and I didn't really have a storyline. Mm. And I'm not necessarily like pointing any type of blame because the thing about a series is that you have to kind of reintroduce the same concept of the pilot for the entire first season so that anybody that tunes in episode four, they get what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I was just meeting her at the coffee stand, giving right. her advice about what the audience already saw. Um, Sebastian was brought in like when the back nine was picked up. So he was a new writer on the show. And all of a sudden I get the script and it's his first script. And my character has a whole fucking storyline. Oh, like she's great. in debt and she's this and blah, blah, blah. all these things are going on. And the whole world is about saving me, saving mm -hmm. my character. And I said to him, first of all, thank you for finally giving me this great episode to do. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, what made you write it? He goes, well, I, I watched all of the uh, first season before the back nine. And I was just like, well, what is going on with her? They haven't done anything with her yet. And so I just wanted to play with you, figure you out. Who are you? We can't write for you until we write for you. Oh, that's so great. And so when it became time for me to find a WGA writer, because at the time before BBF was sold, I was not part of the union. Mm -hmm. So for the big agencies to package it, they needed somebody that was solid. And he's been on Spin City and a bunch of stuff. I called him first and only him immediately because he was the first writer that wrote for me <sighs> in that capacity. Mm -hmm. And so I always have to ask myself, how will this serve me? Mm -hmm. You know, even my... You know, I had a big birthday and I had a, a, a garment made for myself and some of the red carpet things that I do. Mm -hmm. um, there is a woman by the name of Daniela Carell who sews my jumpsuits and does them from scratch. Oh, that's awesome. I she need her. Was, you need her. And she was the seamstress on my first series, My Boys. Mm. 
and I didn't know that was your first series. That was my first series with Kyle Howard. With Kyle Howard. Oh, you know he's the my TV my husband. Yes, he did yes. a he did a podcast episode. We're gonna air soon. Yes, did you do a pilot with him with Steve Pink? No. Okay. We did a pilot called Your Family or Mine. Yes, yes. Well, Kyle was on my yeah. voice. Yeah, I love him. Mm-hmm. Actually, and we did a series. It was a series. We were married for a good ten ups there. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, he's a good TV. He's a great dad. dude. Yeah. But you never know who you're meeting. and That's right. You know, my boys was 2005. It's 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she still is the only person I go to. to oh, need her. To take it in, take it out. Fuck yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so this is my last question for you. Um, how do you know when this season is over? Or when you're on to a next season? Like in your, how do you feel that? It's. You know, not to be very Oprah about it, but it's like when you get the aha moment. Yeah, please be Oprah about this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's when, you know, like I said earlier, when the lesson is learned. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing about when those things happen, you will be tested. Mm -hmm. And I think when you pass the test, the season is over. Mm. And what I mean by that is, I'll go back to just an example because I said it earlier about the discernment with the person that could be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I had learned the lesson Mm -hmm. that this person definitely is, right? But it was tested again Mm -hmm. where it came back to me. And it's kind of like now that this person has done the same thing over, are you going to handle it the same way? Or have you really learned the lesson? The first way that I handled it was in anger and telling him off and being out in public and rah, rah, rah. The second way I handled it was, I hope you get help. And if you ever need my assistance in getting help, I will always be here for you. Mm. But what I can't do is try to save you by letting you destroy me. So I have to gracefully exit this situation. And if you ever decide to get help, I will be there for you. Mm. That was me learning the lesson and applying it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when the season is over. Oh, that's so good because that's the hero's journey too, right? Yeah. You can't solve a problem from the same consciousness that created it. I go. believe Albert Einstein said that and I'm probably misquoting, but something like that. And it's the same with like all the best, the, the, the journeys that we watch, like the journeys that go down in history. What the character learns at the end is that what they wanted in the beginning they can have, but not in the way they thought they could get it. Amen. And that's when you know the season is over. That's when, when you know it's over. The when story, you are in a yep. cyclical thing, mm-hmm. you have not learned it. Right. It's when you transcend your own cycle and you a, a new consciousness opens up and you can contend with your issues in a different way than you ever even imagined possible. Mm-hmm. Then the season's over and the Fuck transformation yeah. has happened. And then you're on to the next hill to climb. Uh you know, I take a spin class with Angela Davis. Okay. If you haven't done it yet, at Soul Cycle, she's amazing. Okay. And is she at the one in Beverly Hills? She's on the one in she's Santa Monica. On, no, West Hollywood. Okay. Well, oh wait, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll it's, link to it. Yeah. And we are going up the hill, going up the hill, and she's preaching to us. Mm-hmm. You will love it. Okay, I'm gonna it's go. Extremely spiritual. Angela is. She's Oprah's girl too. Love it. She's amazing. 
And I remember one class, we're going up the hill and she's like, you have the grace for this race. You have the grace for this race. And I'm like, uh-uh, I'm like, these legs is killing me. But she just has us <laughs> focusing on like, don't focus on the pain, you know, get it to the top of the hill. And who's at the top of the hill? And every class before this class, I would see my friends that I love, my mama stew at the top of the hill, mm. my future unborn child at the top mm. of the hill. And for this class in particular, they weren't at the top of the hill. They were at the bottom of the hill, pushing me up. Mm. And God, a beam of light was at the top of the hill. And it was almost like he was saying to me, you, the only one you need is me. Mm. Yes, I gave you them, but they're not what you're actually going towards. You're going towards me to get closer to me. And so when we got to the top of the hill, I was like, yes, I'm in that light. I'm there. And she's like, that's the victory. That's the thing that you wanted to achieve. Whatever goal you have in front of you, now you're at the top of that hill and you can look over that view. You're there. But here's another hill. Mm. And so just when we started to slow down, she makes us keep going. And she's like, because if you think that God will only give you one blessing, mm -hmm. then you're missing it. He has so many top of the hill blessings for you. Mm -hmm. So the top of one hill is the bottom of your next. Oof. That is a quote from Angela Davis, not me. Oof. The top of one hill is the bottom of your next. So have that victory at the top because you earned it. Mm -hmm. And get ready for another victory that you have to climb to. Mm. That's life. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, it's like that the the legend of the sword and the stone. You yeah. can't pull, no one can pull the sword out of the stone, right? But there's like one knight who can actually pull the sword out of the fucking stone. But then that knight still needs to go fight the battle with that sword. That's not the end. It's not the end. That's, the, that's the top of the hill and the bottom of the next hill. Yeah. Yeah. And because you got to the top once, you know you can get to it again. That's right. Whatever you've already overcome in your life. You know, when you've gotten over one guy or girl that you mm -hmm. dated or whatever, and then you're in this another relationship, well, I never will get over him. Dude, you did it before. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, well, I'm never going to get over the fact that I didn't get this job. Um, did you, you have do that before. Last year? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, once you're at the top of a hill, mm -hmm. you know what you're capable of. Yeah. And so you no longer have to live a lesser life. That's beautiful also because it is very tempting to think that once you get knocked, that, that you do get knocked down to the bottom. Every, like for me, I go, oh man, then I go to the bottom again. Yeah. You know, like it's really tempting to think like that you haven't learned the lessons that you've learned. Well, but that was last year. This is this year. But that is a really great way of have, yeah. like, thinking about it. You yeah, you did celebrate it. celebrate the fact that there's a hill ahead of you to yeah, climb. Yeah, right. Because as Mama Stu would say, be brave enough to live your life. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, and you're just climbing. You're I mean, just climbing. Your 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 view gets wider and wider all the time. Every time you, don't you get, get to a the top, beautiful view. We're mm -hmm. up here doing this podcast with this amazing view. Yeah, my house has a nice. View. It's you guys. It's amazing. You can't see it because <laughs> you're not in here. But it's in this beautiful view. But we don't get to see the view unless I drove up that hill, mm -hmm. climbed out of that car, and climbed all of the steps up here. Mm -hmm. To sit in this beautiful leather 
couch chair and talk to you mm. and look at this view behind you. Mm. It's because I climbed here mm -hmm. that I get to enjoy the view. Oh my God. Well, this view enjoys you. Let me tell you, that was incredible. <laughs> this was great. This what was a beautiful time. Thank you so much for coming on this Thank podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to see you. Oh, and I can't wait to work too. with you again. Same. Yeah. <gasps> Same. I can't wait to read all your scripts yeah. and do all the things. Well, it's you're so, so exciting. amazing. And, oh my God. and I was telling my representatives that I was coming to see you today and they're like, First of all, tell her we said hello because we're such a fan. Oh, my God. That's so nice of them. Yeah. Man. So just FYI, okay, well, thank you know, you. people right. really adore you. Wow. It's all mutual. As do I. Um, thank you. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster and reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. For links and recommendations from this week's episode, visit ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes go up on Mondays subscribe to the show and rate and review us it would mean so so much to us if you did this podcast is produced by hanami sutton and chris mako with technical assistance by david o'hara and music by sean hokinson we love you guys we really really do thanks for listening see you next week